0: There you are, minding your business in 12th century England, doffing your cap to the squire, scratching at your flea bites and harvesting the grain and whatnot, when suddenly two children appear, seemingly from nowhere. The children don't speak a word of English. Their clothing is odd. Their behavior is odder still. And, oh yeah, their skin happens to be a bright, vivid green. Green. What in the medieval heck is going on? here and they got a small beam of light against the mirror <laughs> light, light. 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 start this episode by first acknowledging that modern life has a lot of challenges. I mean, right off the top of your head, Max, what are some of the issues that we modern humans have to cope with?
1: Well, we have to try to find a way to make a living so we can provide shelter and food for ourselves.
0: In, in a crushing post-industrial technological information age economy, right? Like, oh my God, everything's so fast and impersonal and terrifying. We have all of the usual things humanity has dealt with, you know, scourges and plagues and war and disease and famine and flood and all of that. But you know, we're we're kind of like, you know, trapped in like these ant farm environments where we're just frantic. And and you can see it comes out in, in our behavior and our struggles with our mental and emotional health. And we are just, we struggle, you know? It's not easy being a person. It's never been easy to be a person. But I just want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that you live in 12th century England in the village of Woolpit. Now, how did Woolpit get its name? Well, this is something we modern humans do not have to deal with today. Woolpit got its name because the villagers dug these huge, deep pits all around the perimeter of the village. So that when the wolves came into town to eat them, they'd fall into the pits and be trapped. I want you to imagine the neighborhood you live in today having to dig wolf pits. Like that is, can we all agree that, yeah, social media is a real bitch and everything, but we don't have that. That's how the town got its name. So we've got these huge pits for trapping wolves and it's one day in the 12th century under the reign of King Stephen of England. And this is roughly in the years between 1135 and 1154 Um, folks back then were not like super great about record keeping and dates. Um, The villagers are out it's harvest time, you know, so they're all working in the field threshing or whatever it is you do to get the grains into bags for the, his Lordship. When suddenly Two children materialize at the edge of one of the wolf pits. And these children, there's something strange. First of all, you know, in 12th century England in a rural village, you know, you didn't have um, tourists. You didn't have people just popping in to check out the scene, right? So two children standing side by side on the edge of the wolf pit it brought attention, but even beyond that, there was something so deeply unsettling about these children. For starters, they spoke absolutely no English, not one word of English, and their clothing was strange and unfamiliar to the people. And again, remember, this is the 12th century when you could live your entire life you know, in one three-square-mile radius and never really see anyone from anywhere else. So, you know, travel wasn't a thing. Tourism wasn't a thing. There weren't great roads. To have two children who spoke no English in such strange clothing standing side by side on the edge of the wolf pit was weird enough. But these kids had one more thing going against them. Their skin was bright green. According to the legends and the stories, I don't mean they looked a little off, like they'd gotten a hold of a bad taco. These kids were green. And of course, you know, the people of the village were frightened, but they were good people, decent, hardworking people. And the children were clearly starving. They were so thin and drawn. The villagers tried to feed them. They offered bread and the children would not, they wouldn't even taste it. They offered broth. Again, the children were like, nope ski." Finally one villager brought a bowl of fresh green beans and that they fell upon like the hungry wolves of the pits and they gobbled up and the the villagers were frightened and confused they couldn't understand the words the children spoke the language so unfamiliar and they tried using you know signs and pointing and gestures to figure out How in the world these two green, starving children had come to be standing on the edge of the wolf pit? And as best they could tell, the children seemed to have gotten lost tending to their father's cattle when they suddenly found themselves in the village of Wolf Pit. So here we are standing at the edge of the wolf pit, with the hungry, tattered, mysterious, non English speaking, bright green so, children.
1: Um, I guess the only question I have is: Is this like documented anywhere? Like, is there something official that somebody wrote down anywhere about this?
0: Well, that's one of the, that's one of the wildest parts of this story. That actually, the green children of Woolpit were documented by two famous English historians. Um, one of them is named William of Newburgh. And the other is named Ralph of Cogshall. Don't you love when people back then had those names? Like today you would be Max of Charlotte. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, William of Newburgh and, and Ralph of Cogshall. Ralph of Cogshall said that he heard the story firsthand from Sir Richard Cane himself, who was a very famous squire. And he wrote about it in something called the Chronicon Anglicanum. I don't speak Latin, so I'm probably butchering that in the year 1189 and William of Newburgh um, also wrote about this and he published it in a book called Historia Rerum Anglicarum in 1220. He said that he heard it from very trustworthy stories. So is it um, folklore? Is it the earliest version of an urban legend? Is it an actual historical event? You know, Modern historians have tried and tried to document it, but source material from the 12th century, especially when so many people did not know how to read or write. I mean, if you think about it, you know, how, who documents everyday life, the people who are living it. And if the people who are living it only have an oral tradition, you know, it's going to be like a giant game of historical telephone. Right. Remember how that's played, Uh, right? yeah. You know, you sit in a circle and you whisper a word into someone's ear. And by the time it gets to the end of the circle, it's unrecognizable. Oral history is a really powerful um, recording tool. But again, you know, we don't have these primary sources that we can document. So let's go back to the two green children who've refused food, bread and broth. They will only eat green beans. The The villagers didn't know what to do. So they're they're. Their big boss was the squire, Sir Richard de Cain, who allegedly told the story to Sir Ralph of Cogshall. So this is where it gets interesting because Richard de Cane took the children in and let them live in his home. He was like, you know, this is the feudal system where the, the peasants and serfs um, worked the land for the squire, the nobility, and they were allowed to keep, you know, some subsistence for themselves and they had like a hut, whatever. Um, So Richard DeCaine, Sir Richard DeCaine takes the two children in and the boy falls into sickness and he dies. He just doesn't make it. But the girl, um, she eventually becomes healthier and healthier. And at one point, her skin is no longer green, probably because whatever they were eating, wherever they came from, um, had been replaced by a much healthier varied diet in the squire's home the girl also learned how to speak english and ultimately she was baptized into the church they changed her name to agnes and they uh, married her off to a man in a neighboring county so now you know she speaks english she's healthy she's grown Maybe now she can tell the villagers where she and her little green brother came from. So here was the story that she told. She said that she and her brother came from a land that was shrouded in perpetual twilight and that everyone in that land was green like they were. She called it the land of St. Martin. And she said that she and her brother had been tending their father's cattle which they had kind of signaled by sign language when they were first found at the edge of the pit she and her brother had been tending their father's cattle when they got distracted as children will and they wandered off and they became lost and they kept going and they kept going and they kept going and they came upon a cavern and they entered the cavern and they walked through it until they emerged in what she described as very bright light and that was when the villagers at Woolpit found them. So none of the historians have any answer for this. You know, the this underground twilight green world, the land of St. Martin's. I mean there's no documentation for any of this, right? But there have been a lot of theories that have been put forth, like why were the kids green? Apparently there's a medical condition, Max, called hypochromic anemia. It used to be called chlorosis. But it's basically caused by, you know, a poor diet and malnutrition, and when when you suffer from hypochromic anemia, you can be green. It turns your skin green. So when we consider that the the little boy died, but the girl grew healthy and eventually was no longer green, that kind of supports the theory that these were children who were suffering from this hypochromic anemia, right? Right. right. And as far as the the strange clothing that they wore, and the fact that they didn't speak English, um, there are some historians that have offered theories about that. Like for example, now keep in mind, again, this is 12th century England. People at that time in the world they they didn't travel. There was no mass media. You you know you were born, lived, and died in the same place for the most part, unless you you know became a soldier or a a monk you know a member of the clergy or a nun you kind of stayed put and all around the world other small human settlements also stayed put being born living and dying in the same small geographical area with their own language and customs and folkways and food and even your clothing was so dependent on where it was that you lived. Like there was no Amazon or H&M or whatever, right? Did you have the ability to grow flax and hemp and linen? Could you weave cloth? Were you dependent on sheep for woolen clothing? Um, Did you have access to leather to make, you know, leggings and vests and jerkins and shoes and belts and all of that? Humanity at this time in the world? I mean, I want you to close your eyes and picture the planet Earth and now picture the planet Earth dotted with just a few flickering flames here and there separated by vast distances that's what it was like for the people of Earth back then so of course these green children were strange not only for being green which of course is deeply strange but for their unfamiliar clothing and and customs and ways so some historians said well maybe these children weren't fairies or extraterrestrials or ghosts at all. Maybe they were the children of Flemish immigrants who were escaping persecution and maybe their strange clothing wasn't strange at all. If you were Flemish and maybe their strange language wasn't strange at all. If you were also a Flemish immigrant, but to the villagers of Woolpit who had never encountered people from this land. Of course they seemed like mystical and supernatural creatures. And there are a lot of people that say, no, no freaking way. These kids came from an alternate universe or another dimension or another planet, or maybe just maybe a mysterious underground world that mankind hasn't discovered yet. Now this is the 12th century England, but here in this century, There are a lot of people that still believe that there may be a civilization underground in the molten center of the earth that we haven't had contact with. And there are plenty of reasons to believe that the multiverse is real. You know, physics has so many interesting and provocative theories on alternate dimensions and can people bleed from one dimension into the next? Maybe that accounts for the green children of Woolpit. But wherever they came from, Their story was utterly fascinating and to this day, kind of utterly mysterious. I mean, when the girl was able to learn and speak English and she described how she and her brother came from this land of twilight and journeyed through this cavern until they came into bright light and they also heard the sound of bells. Is that simply the story of children who were hiding with their parents who were escaping persecution under Henry II and these children had spent so much of their lives hiding in the forest that their reality was a twilight world and was the cavern that they entered a cavern in the way we describe it you know a cave a rocky cave filled with I don't know stalactites and paintings and bear droppings or was it A tunnel of trees in the forest where the further they traveled, the closer they came to the edge of the forest and to the outskirts of the village of Woolpit. The historians, Ralph of Cogshell, who was an abbot, back then your learned people were clergy for the most part. You know, the history that we do have of that span of human history uh, was often captured by monks and scribes in monasteries. Um, Ralph of Cogshell was an abbot at a monastery which wasn't but 25-26 miles south of the village of Woolpit so he was technically kind of a local and in his history I'll remind you he says that Sir Richard DeCaine was the source and Richard DeCaine is the squire of Woolpit who took these two green children in to live in his home so you could argue that Sir Ralph of Cogshell had primary source information, right, Max? Right. I mean, the the dude told him that every himself. time you say
1: Sir Ralph of Cogshell, it just sounds like you're doing a Saturday Night Live skit. I'm sorry, or
0: every a Monty time. Python. <laughs> Lord <laughs> and, and Sir Ralph of Cogshell. <laughs> oh. Now, um, William of Newburgh, he was he was north of Woolpit. He was pretty far north of Woolpit in Yorkshire. Yorkshire, I guess, is how they say it. Um, but his his account of the Green Children of Woolpit was very, very similar to Sir Ralph's, minus the direct first person testimony of Sir Richard de So, over the centuries between that moment. And today, you know, we've had lots and lots of theories about it, including the hypochromic anemia. Um, there's a um, a couple of writers who've researched this story, including a writer named Paul Harris, who said that um, actually the children were were Flemish orphans, and that they came from a village known as Fornham Saint Martin, which remember. The children had told the villagers they came from the land of Saint Martin. Oh, so right. Paul Paul Harris feels pretty good about this story, and if the if the children had been Flemish immigrants that were running and escaping persecution, and if they had fled into the forest near Woolpit, which was called the Thetford Forest, um, all of the math adds up. The location is right. The geography is right. That forest at that time was a wild, deep, dark, and mysterious place that would definitely, like I said, seem to the kids like permanent twilight. Paul Harris is like, settle down, y'all. These are not monsters, aliens, or children from another dimension. These were frightened, hungry orphans who had no way to make sense of the world that they found themselves in. But of course, there's always that crew that says, yeah, but it was aliens. Like a writer named Richard Burton, or Robert Burton rather, who wrote a book that was published in the year 1621. And that book was called The Anatomy of Melancholy, which sounds like rip-roaring beach reading. <laughs> <laughs> he says he says that the green children... Um, did not come from the forest of Thetford. They were not orphans escaping persecution, but instead they fell from heaven, which immediately modern readers say, yup, that means they're extraterrestrials. And, and you can fast forward all the way to the mid-1990s. People are still struggling with this legend, this folk tale, still trying to make sense of it. Um, Duncan Lunan, Published an article in a magazine called Analog, and he said the children were, in fact, extraterrestrials who were accidentally teleported from their home planet and got kind of stuck here on Earth in the 12th century in this small village. And then he published a book in 2012 called Children from the Sky, where he circled back to the Green Kids of Woolpit and argued again that they were extraterrestrials who were accidentally transported in time and place from their home planet. Now, um, at this late stage, no one can prove hyperchromic anemia, multiple dimensions, underground civilizations, or the accidental teleportation of two kids from another dimension. But one thing that we can all agree on is that the green children of Woolpit That's a mystery that not only has never been solved, but it's a mystery that has lingered and haunted people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. If you had to guess, Max, what's your favorite theory on the green children of Woolpit?
1: Well, my my initial thought was that they were aliens, that that was, you know, the color and the clothing. But I do think it's because of what they were eating that turned them green and that they were perhaps Flemish. So that's I think that that probably is the best, uh, the best theory
0: there is nothing this girl likes more than somebody slipping through a multidimensional crack and ending up in a parallel (laughs) but incorrect universe and we have episodes on that coming up here on True Weird Stuff but I think in this instance I think that the theory that these children were hungry orphans escaping persecution unable to make sense of the world that they found themselves in hyperchromic anemia that all kinds of adds up and you know the thing that that makes it add up for me because otherwise, like, I'm like, it was the aliens. Agnes, um, once she was healthy and fed and eating a good diet in the Squires' home, Agnes wasn't green anymore and went on to get baptized, get married, and live out the rest of her days as an English villager, which seems, I guess, possible, you know, if she were actually an extraterrestrial or a multidimensional traveler. But if that's the case, damn, it must suck to be an extraterrestrial or a multidimensional traveler. Because one minute you're on your home world with flying cars and talking dogs, and the next minute you're picking fleas off yourself in a medieval English village and living on gruel.
1: Right? Being, Being forced to read the Canterbury Tales.
0: Yeah, I mean, yikes. That's a fate we wouldn't wish on anyone, right? So whatever the truth of this legend is, it's super duper weird. And we can probably all agree on one thing. As Kermit the Frog taught us when we were kids, it's not easy being green, it's not easy being green. Next time on True Weird Stuff, one of the world's most successful tourist attractions, a place where parents bring their kids and grandparents go and buy souvenirs, has its beginning in the most bloody awful terrifying way possible and it's all true wax on head off next time on true weird stuff true weird stuff is a now media production our executive producer is anthony garcia The show is written and hosted by me, Sherry Lynch, along with my deeply weird director, Max Sweeten. Our equally odd producer is Carrie Bowser. Additional production by the mysterious Stephen Call. Our digital witch and social media cult leader is Heather Furr. Original graphics by Kevin Nash. Original artworks by Olivia Axlin. True weird original music composed and performed by Jack Griffin and Sam Nash. Copyright 2023. Now media. All rights reserved. All norms remembered. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Bob and Cherry podcast and the Bob and Sherry podcast. We would love if you would subscribe, rate and review and share it with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you go. And thank you again for listening.